did you think it was going to be a song? Oh, wait, for a second. <laughs> and then I would come in with the Spanish rendition in the background. Since I'm back from Mexico. <laughs> uh, episode 567. When you were in Mexico, did you see any mariachi bands, your favorite? Yes, I did. One. But here's the thing, Suze. I was disappointed with the lack of of Mexican music that I heard. What do you... What do you mean there wasn't? Or like I was disappointed that with with yeah, how little I how little I got to experience. Disappointing. I I because I I may have I think I changed my mind. I think I've come around. I'm so glad because that was really a bummer that you hate like basically cultural like folk music. No (laughs) get out of here. No, here's what I realized I don't like. I don't like people serenading. A single table. <laughs> it doesn't matter what genre. So you you associate it with mariachi. Yes. Because they come up to your table and then they play. And then that, that I don't know what face to make. I don't know. You can't dance when you're sitting at the chair. Yeah, it, it feels like awkward. they're just playing to you. It feels. And then I, and then I n- being unfamiliar with songs, I do not know how long it's going to last. Yeah. And, and I feel like I've just like, I'm just strapped in. Yeah, and you just didn't like, even know how to pace your reaction. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's very uncomfortable for me. I feel similar to, I felt, I had an experience recently where, I don't know where I was. I want to say it was like, at like a Disneyland type setting or something like that. But somebody playing like the violin at a table no. or like coming up and like, you know, doing. But see, this is why I would think you would like hate close up magic. No, that's different. <laughs> why is it different? It's the <laughs> this same. is a really this is a good point. What is different? Uh, you do love an illusion. <laughs> well, you know where the, when the ending's coming with that. <laughs> Sometimes. That's true, but you don't know what the ending is, so there's still Correct. an element of surprise. And oh, let's face You're it, right. you just hate Mexican music. No, I and, love it and German music. She no, hates a polka. I don't hate a polka. I'm probably coming. <laughs> I'm mediocre on a polka. Well, okay, fine. Is there an L in polka? Ellen? Pol- polk. P- no, not Ellen. How do you P O L K A? Yeah, polka? there is. Yeah, like polka dot. Polka. Man, that's a funny word. It really is. Ellen should have a polka though. <laughs> that bitch loves to dance. She does. She does. Or loves to watch other people dance. I'm still... She, I'm, I don't know if she does ethnic styles, though. Well, she she's probably to be pop. into mariachi. Everyone is, except you. I know. Susie! <laughs> why, are, why are we getting in a fight on this? I've come around. I've come around. <laughs> How was your, your, your vacation? Was it fun? It was wonderful. It was so nice to... Well, it was one of those trips where... I was kind of forced off the grid because, like, they said, "Yeah, we have Wi-Fi here." I hate that. No, they did not. That's and the worst. Yeah, so I couldn't even. You know, it was one of those like my Instagram's frozen on the same photo for four days. Oh my gosh! Right? And I was like, "Come on," <clears throat> you know. Or I tried to upload something and it says upload failed. Retry for the like, you know. And Ooh, so I so just got stuck. In, like so, I was forced. And after like you know doing that for a little bit, I was like, I surrendered to the to the you know nature and yeah. and maybe a little bit for the best because it was nice to 
What kind of temperature are we talking? Oh, comfortable degrees, like whatever that seven, like seventy eight, and perfect, mm-hmm. and like maybe yeah, and not and great humidity for my hair. That was a concern. That. Always. It's like just the right amount. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of those like trips where you never really change out of a bathing suit. And I went and there were a bunch of people there who just really loved having a good time. And so one of the days, the day of the wedding, okay, so I went, oh, I should tell, explain to people why the heck I was in Mexico if you guys didn't. Did I tell, talk about this on our last episode? Not really. Not really. You said so, your second date was going to be in Mexico. That's it. Oh, yes. My second day was going to be Mexico. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was. I was you really live on the edge with that. I mean, like, you meet these guys in, like, these remote places. You're going to be on Dateline. It stresses I, that, me well, out. I, I was glad. I, that was, you know, I was making sure that I was at a place where we were at an all-inclusive resort, Susie. I'm just glad you made it out alive. <laughs> well, y- y- me too, because, like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the, um, uh, uh, what was I drinking? Miami vices. That I what the hell are those? Oh, it's like a strawberry daiquiri and a pina colada. In the oh same yeah, glass. that sounds nice. Oh my gosh, Susie, it's also a party in a glass. It's like yeah. the best. But yeah, so it was great. So we there the day of uh, uh, the tandem bike guy who you've nicknamed uh, Romeo. Yes. He uh, invited me down to Mexico as his plus one for his friend's wedding. And he was in the wedding. Uh, so on the day of the wedding, he had some activities to do and, you know, photos taken, this and that. And uh, I didn't. So I went with a bunch of uh, other friends of his and we like went went on a little boat and oh went snorkeling and went to this like little like island that had um a little like river creek that we like hiked up and to these like waterfalls and you know we were like you hiking are up. so adventurous it was so much fun Suze. and it was cool to be in it like to to be hanging out with a group that was equally no, as adventurous no that's the part that i think is the adventure <laughs> what like hanging, hanging out, with, out the- with people i don't know like small talk oh. central it was, it is, but you know, they were, it was nice. They were, they were pretty, you know, I, as a therapist, that's kind of, we're, we're kind of that's going to like, that just, is, you know, making the combo and like asking open-ended it's, questions. But like, listen, to then, believe me, as an interviewer, I know oh, I yes. could do it, but it would be so like, I'd rather be alone, you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do love being alone, but, uh, you know, you get a better, better rate on the charter boat when you go with a group of eight. The group discount. Yeah, you get the group discount. So I took advantage of that. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty fun and people were really cool. It was funny on the boat, uh, that we went on. So the whole weekend, people kept coming up to me and saying, didn't I have lunch with you the other day? Didn't I see you somewhere the other day? And, and it took me a little while to realize what was happening and a few other people to say, wait a sec, you look just like our friend. There was another girl there who I'm not kidding. Susie, I have a doppelganger. I had a serious doppelganger. What's her name? Sam. Oh my God. And guess what she is? An occupational therapist. (laughs) No. And she has, we have not just the same tattoos on the same, like they look the same. The tattoos are all of waves. We had a nose ring. It was like looking in a mirror. Stop it. And and she had curly hair. Oh my God, like the poor man Sarah. You guys should make a sitcom. People kept coming up to us, or I'm the poor man's her. I'm still still not sure. They're still (laughs) out. But like people kept on coming up to either of us. and, And she would say to me, like, 
they're confusing you all day long too. Yep, that me too. That is crazy. Yep. And so we took a couple pictures where people were like, hey, hey, do the same thing. Hold, both of you hold your hand up like this. And we're like, okay. That is like three identical strangers. It was kind of funny that I, we had a, a doppelganger the whole, the whole weekend. So it was, yeah, it was really fun. And the wedding was fantastic. And I just loved dancing all night long on, you know, and you know how I love a, a wedding dance floor. I do too. Like, you yes, we're we're the same. There's nothing better. They give me like, all the give me the all the hits. Skill expectation is so yes. low. Yes, and the alcohol is so high, <laughs> so high. And at an all inclusive resort where people are just which by Free the way I went to a really nice one. Thank God. There's there are some. Uh, I have changed my mind on all inclusives. Get like, out of here, Suze. This place was. I'm not Loved surprised it. actually because you love a buffet. Did they have that? I didn't even go to one the whole time. Whoa. There was one, but I was just like I, I think I was satisfied with with you know uh, uh what are they room service breakfast and things like that. I didn't yeah. I didn't even need it. And I and having the ocean right there, it was like I I ran and jumped in the jumped in the water just on a whim all the time. Dang. I'm like I'm just going to go take a dip. I'm just going to go right in and take a dip real quick. It's like you right do there. love that. I love taking a dip. She loves a dip. So fun. Love a dip. <laughs> I also <laughs> loved something else I did out there, which was a little bit my first time ever of microdosing. Oh my gosh. Well, first, was, uh, before you tell, then I have yes. to tell people why, you know, they need to do a little regular dosing of ritual vitamins. Yes, got to get your vitamins in. Get your vitamins. Ritual is a fantastic company. In fact, I just opened my monthly bottle yesterday and I was, again, struck by that damn mint smell. (laughs) So good. Thank you, Ritual. It is so good. It never gets old for me because it's very easy on your tummy and it is delicious and plant-based. And they also have protein, which is fantastic so you can do that. that you can make a smoothie you can do your little workout protein situation they're shaking things up and um it just helps you get in those vitamins and things you might miss when you're you're eating um so why not shake up your ritual to make trying something new less scary ritual offers a money back guarantee if you're not 100 in love plus our listeners get 10 percent off during your first three months just visit ritual.com slash brain candy to add essential protein today that's ritual.com slash brain candy and lincoln takes the kids gummies and he likes them which is a miracle so if Gummy, you guys are I looking kids, for i want those yeah if you're looking for um gummies for your kids or for your sarah you should <laughs> try them okay yes tell us about the uh, microdose. Yes. Okay. So I have never done any psychedelic, like I did mushrooms. It's been like years, like yeah. years, years, years. Okay. And the mushroom experience I had was like maybe too much. And I was like, no, let's dial this back. We're good. We're like set for forever. Yeah. You were just sort and of like, that was good to do, but then I'm, I'm not going to keep doing yes. this. Right. But I did a little bit of microdosing while I was out there. What are we dosing? Uh, this one happened. My Oh, my God. I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud. No, <laughs> it's not. LSD. Oh, wow. Okay. Groovy, baby. Groovy, baby. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I, if, if, if I would have had this and nobody told me, I would have never noticed that there what was anything going on. What would you have thought on. that it was? That I was just in a really good mood. Oh, wow. That's ideal. 
I would have never, you don't, I didn't see anything. I didn't look, it didn't look different. Nothing was the, oh, I wouldn't have noticed anything. I, there was, it was such a small amount that it was like, you couldn't even, the only thing that I noticed was that I was so freaking present and centered and where I was like, it was, I can't even freaking explain it. It was so strange. It was so pleasant. And, you know, I've been reading all of this stuff. One of our listeners, Cassie, sent a great article um, from Rolling Stone that was titled The Psychedelic Miracle, How Some Doctors Are Risking Everything to Unleash the Healing Powers of Ayahuasca, MDMA, and Other Hallucinogens. Mm -hmm. And our book club book of the month is... Uh, how to change your mind, how to change your brain, how to change your mind, change your mind, Things yeah. how to change your mm-hmm. mind. Um, that is all about psychedelics as well. And I was, I, for the first time understood the, like, how that, you know, how like all of those articles and like all the people, like I have this like idea of the, I don't know, like the the hippie generation being like, oh, you know, man, the government's just trying to like scare you and like the drugs are fine and everything. They're just like saying all that. And it's just like, um, you know, th- mm-hmm. like it's going to fry. Yeah, they kind of are. Because mm-hmm. like, I was like, this is it? This is what I'm freaked out? I mean, of course it was a, a micro amount, but in my mind, I was like going to see things like, like it was going to be like crazy and maybe in like large doses. But I was like, this is what we're protect. This is what we're, we're keeping people away from. What are the, this um- experience that now I, I, I feel like the most relaxed I've ever been in my fucking life that I feel like the least depressed and like, I've like, and not just while you're on, like now, after that, I have this, you know, when you, when we were talking about Sarah Silverman and we were saying nothing matters, right? it was like that, but like the good side of that. Yeah. Then when she was like, Oh, nothing matters. It's oh, fine. nothing yeah. matters. It's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. That's like the, the vibe that I am like feeling and whether that is like, I don't know what, but I felt like it, it was a, like a little nudge to just help me kind of like, do you know that little voice? Do you have, I should say, that little voice that seems like it's always there in the back of your mind? It's almost like a doubting voice. Or it's like reminding you of what you need to be doing. Or it's like, well, you oh, could like do that. but voice? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know that voice? Sure I do. It puts that on mute. <laughs> That's cool. It was great. It's funny that you're experiencing this because I am stone cold sober right now because um, someone I love has decided to do a sober November. Oh, nice. they asked me to do it with them like as a show of support. Yes. So uh, I – but I had already like in August I went off my antidepressants. Yeah. And then I went off a few weeks ago off of um, edibles – because mm-hmm. you oh, know, wow. I didn't want to keep doing those at, to go to sleep. I wanted to use, um, you know, just proper or, or just go nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then I stopped wine and I stopped pop. Oh, well, look at you! Yeah, so it's gone great. That's great. Do you feel a difference? Yeah, it's just a nice reset. It is. Yeah. What do you notice? 
Um, well, there. So these things, I don't know if everyone for everyone, but for me, they tend to be all go together. So let's say you take an edible yes. to get sleep. Then when you wake up, you might feel a little groggy. So you need caffeine. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you totally. have caffeine and you're up and up and up. And then your work day's over and you're like, I need a glass of wine. I got to calm down. Right. Yeah. So, like, they mm-hmm. kind of feed each other. Absolutely. So, by getting rid of all of those things, it was, it, it allowed me to sort of, you know, get yes. a, re, a restart. So, it's fun. Yes. I like it. I love that. I love yeah. a good restart. And I love a good, like, also having that chance to kind of, yeah, step out of, Maybe like habitual cycles or behaviors. To yeah, kind of, and, and get notice a reset. like when you let's say you crave it, then you think, yeah. okay, why am I? What is it? What's causing that craving? And yeah. what does it signify? And, and then you learn more about your behaviors. Yes, I love this, but I love yeah. the idea of microdosing too, and I think that can be a reset. Well, you know what? I totally agree with you on that too, because you know, in thinking about that, I. It almost feels very different than something that's like a habitual thing like caffeine or alcohol because it's almost like I want that less and there isn't the desire to microdose again, to do it again. Like there, you know, I don't want to like, I feel like. It's not Good. like you're like, oh, now I need it all the time. Or something. Now I need it. You know, I read this and I saved this because I thought it was um, uh, kind of matched how I was feeling. But it said, people are not addicted to drugs. They're addicted to escaping reality. Through mm-hmm. our emotional body, we are creating bliss or depression. The high you seek is within. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, that is it. Because like... You and remember how we were talking about, I think we were talking about it on here about how the love that we feel is manifested within ourselves, that it's not another person necessarily who, like, yes, they are the object or like that, this maybe where we direct that love or like where we are, are mm-hmm. creating, centering some of those feelings around, but the actual feelings of those like hormones that you feel, that's all manifested like inside of you. I just so read a quote that speaks to that. It was talking about the way we care for our children and it was in the context of all this talk about like paternity leave and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this scholar was saying, we don't um, care for someone like a child because we love them. We love them because of the acts of care that we perform for them. So like mm-hmm. by caring for them, it grows our love internally. And so it's what you're saying where yes. it's like, it's all just like, Googling up inside your body and yes. it's all chemicals. That's why every, every feeling is. Yes, absolutely. And if you can just get to like connect to, and it also like makes me feel like I'm more in charge of everything and I'm more like in the driver's seat, which, you know, as a controlling individual, I fucking love that. <laughs> well, can, uh, not to like make this all about me because I know this is your no. story. But I love it, Suze. This is <laughs> great. One other thing I noticed and it was really insightful for me is as somebody who grew up fundamentalist, you know, we were stone cold sober all the time. Yeah. And so um, there was no sex, drugs, or rock and roll at all. But what you noticed 
for me is growing up and I see in these communities is the the youth, they're like super into like board games and like going bowling and like doing, because mm-hmm. you don't, you need something to kind of get you that feeling Stimulate, of like fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so once I stopped everything, I noticed that urge in me happened in such a beautiful way because I was like, more like, hey, Link, let's go out on the trampoline. Hey, <gasps> yes. you know, let's let's go bowling. Let's go play Clue, you know, because you want that same fun, but you're not relying <sighs> on a glass of wine or whatever. Right. So that's right. cool. It's the best. Yeah. It's, it's, it's being able, really, it's being able to create those same... Chemicals. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> In your brain, in in a way that you know, and it's more active. Actually, less yeah, passive. it really is. Now that I think about it, it's almost like the opposite. Because in one, you're you're just trying to kind of like numb or stimulate, or like the other one, you're you're. It seems almost more authentic and more. You know, that's what you said. You're in the driver's seat. You're, you're in the driver's seat. Yeah, you're taking an active role in the feeling rather than letting some chemical just be in, yeah. internalized and consumed to create it for you. I just love that. Neither is bad or good. It's just nice to know how these things mm-hmm. work and then you can make decisions accordingly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think my least favorite, I mean, the one that is just the worst is alcohol. I know. That's the, that's the, that's the, it's the, the easiest. It's, so. Yeah, and it's the one that's just like that's the 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 number. The well, some for like, some people too, it's food. I mean, everybody has different different things. Yeah. What are yeah. these alleged um, side effects of LSD? Like, what is the sort of you, this could happen? Like, do you get a cotton mouth or whatever? No, I don't even. You know what? I don't even freaking know because in my mind, the what I had in my head was like people like like hallucinate, like they see things. You know, and I think that, that, and then from there, like, I don't even know what the, like, maybe like Well, sometimes psychosis. they they worry about like a bad trip. I heart, guess that's what that heart, is. Yeah, like a yeah. bad trip and maybe a heart issue. But if you took too, it's like take, maybe taking too much and then, but then it just like goes away. Oh yeah, because if you, fine. if all those chemicals are released- then At you once. get like depleted and then you crash yes. or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's like that's – but there really isn't uh, – I, I honestly think that – because I didn't feel anything. No I hangover. No nothing. No. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not, and just just the the general sense of of like uh, being present and – being like appreciative and grateful for my surroundings and for nature. And mm-hmm. you know what? It made me really, really um, like I knew what I didn't want to be around. And that was a fucking screen. Really? Any sort of like t- like I did not. I was like, I don't want to. I don't want a phone. I don't want a TV. I don't want to look at anything that's like electronic, like. Like that would like mess up the vibes right oh, really? now. Like that felt like I knew what I didn't want to do. And I was like, <coughs> no, like, Excuse but me. it was, I, you would have never known if you were talking to me 
that like you would have never there you would have never in a million years known that there was any difference or anything like that and it was totally normal i was just in the happiest mood and it was the fucking shit man good i'm glad it was a positive experience yeah and now i now i i feel like reading that book that we're reading for book club you know it's it's Even though it seems like I'm a risk taker and it seems like I, you know, oh my gosh, you're going to Mexico on a second date kind of thing. It sounds real exciting. I'm a rule follower for the most part. And I get really nervous doing anything like, like I've pretended to do mushrooms before with people because (laughs) I didn't want, like, like. Tell me what you did to be convincing. What? When I pretended to do mushrooms? Yeah. Oh, do you know this story? That's no, like what we're I telling. don't. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my friend who we were talking about earlier, Susie, that 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 yes. I won't talk about on here, um, who's a partier, she, it was like a fucking Tuesday night or something. And she was like, <laughs> let's do shrooms. And I was like, no, oh, wait, I can't I do remember this. And, I, and she was like, well, here you go. We're going to take it with some peanut butter. And she like put oh some God. on a, sp- uh, like gave me some and like gave me a spoon of peanut butter. And I took some oh. and I was like, mm, and then I tossed it over my shoulder. You did, <laughs> you did not. And she wasn't looking. And I just ate it because I was like, oh yeah, okay, ooh, a good trip. Because I was like, I can't <laughs> fucking do this shit. I, no, wait, wait, I'm wait, not okay, about wait. this. So I was she's, too scared. Doing, I was, she's I was high mad. on shrooms. Yeah. What was she oh, doing? Like, what? how did she act? She was dancing Giggling. and, and oh, okay. like, listening to music and, like, dancing in the living room. Oh, my and, God. And you, did you dance? No, nah, I went home. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Like, no, nah, this is fucking weird. I'm not doing this. I'm, okay, like, okay. And so I, I was just, like, too scared. And, like, like I have to research everything. Fo- this is, like, the whole point of my... I, I have to... I read about it. Then I have mm-hmm. to look at all the fucking drug studies. Like I, I would say for a long time when like I had friends who, you know, would like have fun here and there with whatever they were doing. And I would just be like, nope, I'm not the person you want to do drugs with. I'm definitely like, I'm not fun to do drugs with because I'm going to be like, like feeling my pulse and I'm going to be talking about what areas of the brain this is affecting. And it's like not a good time. And it, yeah. even when I'm drinking, like kill. I, I can be a buzzkill when it comes mm-hmm. to drugs. So I just because I know, like I know what's happening internally, and I feel like then I get in my head about that, and it's just all too much. It's almost like I'm. You're better off knowing nothing. Yeah. So I, I like over research it, and then I get all in my head, and then I get I, I. So it's also that same feeling of like, oh, if I read all about it, it's the same as experiencing it, right? No, it's not. You can read every single book. And I'm like, yeah, I totally get, like, I understand how this can um, uh, relieve depression. And I understand how this can open up um, somebody's, or, or like free somebody of some of the ways that their ego maybe prevents them from, I don't know, enjoying life the way that they should, all that stuff. I read about, like, I understand it conceptually, but... And I feel like, okay, that's enough. It was kind of, it was nice to be able to understand that in a more real way. And I really do like fully believe in the healing power of hallucinogens. Mm -hmm. I don't think like I would have said the same thing. 
Like, I mean, I get it. Yes, I do. But not in the way that I understand that. Mm-hmm. And, and with, with such minor, cons- with, with such, with no, no, like, I, I feel more, I feel more uh, if I accidentally double up my Adderall dosage. <laughs> that fucking freaks, that feel, makes me, like, that's yeah, way worse. Yeah, because shakes or something, right? Yeah, or dry yeah. mouth like crazy. And that's, that is way, way, way worse. Mm-hmm. Too much caffeine. When I have like t- like four espresso shots, oh my god! Like or or, or yeah, a five hour right. energy drink. Happen if I have a five hour energy drink. Oh my god! Forget it. Like mm-hmm. that is what it feels like my body. There's way more terrible things happening inside my body. So that's my. She's a believer. That's my, I'm a believer now, and 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 I can't believe that I fucking did that. I feel like such a hippie. I love it. I know. I'm like, okay, what's next? Grateful well, Dead concert? Are we going to wear tie-dye from now on? One thing that's definitely next is how for dinner I get to have HelloFresh. Oh, delicious. That You know what? I, uh, I'm i going to go ahead and share this. I have a friend whose mom was not uh, just had surgery, and I got my HelloFresh meals, and I just cooked up all of them, and Aww. I brought them over to her. And I was like, here you go. And so thank you, HelloFresh, for providing some healthy meals for Aww. my friend's mom who had surgery because I think it's a, a, something we don't, we wouldn't, I would have not even thought about of how that could be useful. And, you know, if you know somebody who's like just has some stuff on their t- plate right now that like, is nice. and maybe needs some food on their plate that you can help them out with, HelloFresh could be great for that. That is such a good point. And I think, you know, we're we're entering into a very chaotic time of year and- you know, people have a lot going on with the holidays, and so this is a great solution for mealtime. Um, HelloFresh offers all different options that you can choose from. So, oh, they have this um, chicken ramen. Oh, lordy. Oh. It is so good. Like, the broth, it's legit. Like, you know how ramen yes. for me is all about the broth? Um, yes. They have gnocchi and really nice, like, because everyone's like, it's fall. We want, like, soothing comfort foods. Mm. But we don't want to spend a million years trying to make it and shop for it and all that. So this solves the problem. They bring you, they send to your door all the ingredients you need to make delicious meals. And it is so much more affordable and cost-effective than normal shopping. So I'll give you the scoop. Go to HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy14 and use code BrainCandy14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. At That's HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy14. And use code BRAINCANDY14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. What a great deal. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. Mm. As you were. Now you got me thinking about that gnocchi and like, I'm like, oh, mm. right. It's very comforting. Yum. Yeah. I do love that. I made that the other day because that so was the one good. I got and it was oh, so good. Oh, that's fun. Yes. Um, okay. So what other non-drug related things do I want to talk to you about? Uh, I have some pretty funny stories about... Uh, our favorite subject. Oh my gosh, poo? Yes. What do you got? Okay, so oh, I want to I want to see which one who sent this to us because it was so such a good story. I have to give somebody who sent this credit. <laughs> um uh yeah, oh this is from Mo. That's right. People apparently. I'm hoping to god this is a fucking internet like prank and they're trolling me, but now I don't I'm not really sure. People are ditching toilet paper for reusable cloth rolls. Yes, that's true. 
Susie. Yeah, I've seen this on the zero waste sites I follow. Susie. Yes. Can you please, please, <laughs> let's talk about a couple things. Yeah. One, mm-hmm. it's a roll. <laughs> Is it a continue? I, I, the pictures I saw were, were of a continuous roll. Yeah. How? Go ahead. Explain that. What I, am I supposed to do I, with that? I don't know whether I've just decided that it has to break apart. It's like Velcro <laughs> or something. Oh. Or I'm just unwilling to accept that maybe it is Jesus just a roll that goes on. Oh, I'm getting sick just thinking of it. Okay. So remember Do these we people were- not know about bidets for Pete's sake? Right. Like there are well, better solutions. That's actually you a really idiots. good that's a really good point. Because you know, after just visiting Mexico and you know, we've been when we traveled for the challenge, a lot of the places we went, um, they would have bidets because they didn't have the kind of plumbing that, you know, would be allow for like toilet paper and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, um, or you'd have to throw your waste in the or throw your in the paper can. in the garbage can, like we did in Thailand. Yeah. Like we did, you know. Which was I I would rather have a bidet. Um, when you throw that toilet paper in the trash can, it smells. Yeah, it's not ideal. So what, hap- what happens? What's the process, Suze? <laughs> Who's in charge of washing things? Right? Who does that? You know who... The- <sighs> there mm-hmm. are so many things wrong with this. And <sighs> like... And here's the other thing. You have... it. Let's Okay, so you throw it in the laundry whenever it's complete. Yeah. You you can't wash anything else with it. So to me, that's oh, also wasteful. Oh, 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 oh. And let's return to a conversation we had a couple episodes back about my towels and the, the, the <laughs> right. order of like... The life cycle of your towels. Yeah. And the the nastiness that I experienced when I almo- almost w- dried myself off, slash dried a little bit of my face off, <laughs> with Bo's towel. Slash. And I, I was like, ah! Could you imagine, like, what that laundry smell? No, no, no. Right. Am I? Is this a? Am I being snooty right now? Is this no? A thing? And they're so. Then these people are often the same people who refuse to use bleach because it's toxic. So what are you cleaning that with? Well, you can't use bleach. Have you seen the nice colors on there? The toilet paper. They at least they've been they've been kind enough to. <laughs> they are like use- a quilt. Yeah, they're like quilted and like and definitely multicolored. And you have to choose multicolored because oh yeah, skid marks, skid- as you call them, skitters. Skid- Stop it! I know you call them that, don't you? I sure do. Because when yeah. you get skitters, I mean, we all know what that looks like, and it is not yeah. good. Yeah. What if? What would you do if you went to <laughs> Romeo's house? <laughs> Not a thing. <laughs> or just no. anyone's house. Let's say you yes. went to anyone's house and yeah. they were like, yeah, bathroom's the first door on the right. Oh, and my God. And then you went in there and had to go number two and then – or not even. What if you did number one? Oh, my God. And you but imagine number role. two. Imagine number two. Ah! I, th- I almost think the one is worse because you're putting it on your vagina and that had poo on it. Oh, my <laughs> God. Seriously, I'm not okay. I'm like really, so I really draw the line somewhere. Yeah. I just got to. Can we, what happened mm-hmm. 
too, it, it's just one of those, like, people have too much fucking time on their hands. I wish we were recording. You could see the video of this episode to see, like, what this <laughs> like is doing to me. you are. Because, like, I'm really, I really, because I'm imagining, you know what I'm annoyed about? Because I'm thinking about the picture that I have in my head of the toilet paper roll that I saw that I'm, I'm like, vi- like, pulling I've up in my mind right now. And it has, like, a finished edge. Yes, like there's like t- piping along the edge. Fuck off with your finished edge on your shit towel. When, like, I can't. You got too much time on your hands. You Wait, got- I gotta write that down. <laughs> Fuck off with your finished edge on your, what was it? Shit towel. <laughs> oh, God. God. I can't take it. And I'm like, here I am just trying to like, I was thinking like, I I had a, a terrible experience with the tailor before I went on this trip. What that happened? That was like, Seuss. Oh, I almost lost my goddamn mind at the, to this tailor. So <laughs> I, I got this great dress that I loved from Poshmark. It looked um, beautiful but, on you. Oh, thank you. I loved it. And... um uh, keep your eye out on it for it because I'm going to be. Um, you know, <laughs> It'll it back be on Poshmark any minute. Be- yeah, because you know, like you can only wear yeah, you, sure. like, these you, kind of dress yeah. you wear them once, this kind of thing. And it was so beautiful, I loved it. Um, somebody else should enjoy it too. Uh, but it was a little bit too long in the straps, so I took it in to the tailor to have him like take like take the straps up. Super easy, no problem. The person who sewed it. Folded the strap over, then yeah. Okay, the t- sewed it to the outside of yep. the dress. Mm-hmm. Then finished it like you know when you're finishing an, a, a seam and you go back and forth a couple times mm-hmm. on like, the outside. But on this the person outside. did this on the outside. They did it on the outside, and they went back and f- they used white thread wow. on a gray slash blue dress. Wow. It couldn't have been more obvious. It looked so terrible. Thank God she didn't cut it. What did you say to this hooker? I went, oh my God. I Well, I didn't check the dress when I was at the dry cleaner at the tailor. I took it home. And then, because I had to run, I was like in between sessions. And then I had a half hour break and I had to run back there. And all I did was get my money back. I was like, this is, this is crazy. And I asked if they had a seam ripper, like a, a, a seam mm-hmm. ripper, so I can take it all out and undo it. And then because they had pressed it uh, for me too, they only gave me 50% of my money back. Wow. And I was just like, this is annoying, but whatever. And, uh, um, what was the whole point of me telling this story about my We dress were talking now? about toilet paper rolls. <laughs> and I was talking about the tailor. Mm-hmm. Why did I start up? Why would I? You why said I fuck off with your finished edge on your shit towel. Uh, oh. <laughs> I love that you oh, still don't know. Yes, what thank you, it. thank you, thank you. Okay, so this whole thing goes down. I, I, uh, all I need are the straps shortened and like. Yeah. The the amount of time that it, it like I didn't have the time in my schedule to be able to do that and it felt like you know and then this tailor like messed up the dress and the, not messed it up I was able to take it all out and I did it myself like self in a temporary one that then I was able to you know it's all fucking it was fine in the end but it was still like I didn't have time to 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 do a very simple like sewing. Uh, taking the straps up, I had to like outsource that. And some person has the time 
to yeah. finish an edge on a toilet on a, something that is so unnecessary. Yeah, and gross. And gross. That feels like you're like this is like you're just looking for things to that are either clickbaity mm-hmm. or to just put in your fucking like I don't know blog for right. I I, I uh, this is content. the same person who yeah who like ha- I have to read about like your grandmother's like old like story from when she was growing up to get to the recipe for the you know banana bread. I think Sarah like, could use those session with better help. Am I right? Probably. Oh yeah, I love BetterHelp. <laughs> I love BetterHelp too. It's a wonderful service if you are thinking of trying therapy because you can do it from the comfort of your own home and you can do it at any time that is convenient for you. And they are committed to facilitating these therapeutic matches so you can find a counselor that meets your needs and can help you with depression or anxiety or a toilet paper roll. Gosh, or that three. makes you depressed and anxious. <laughs> Anything, and it is convenient and professional. These are licensed counselors. And, you know, everybody needs a little help. So why don't you give it a try? We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash brain candy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash brain candy. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh yes, I do need a little therapy to talk about my feelings about this. <laughs> that was you tough know time. you'd think you'd think after the microdosing, I'd be a little more chill about. I'm like, yeah, do whatever you want, but no, no. I think maybe it had the opposite effect. You know how you say sometimes I'm a little too forgiving and a little too. Uh, well, that's true. You know, it's like I got to be. I, I sometimes you need to be a little more of an asshole. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it helps with that. It is funny to me how it cracks me up how you're always mad at some like retailer. You know, it's like Home Depot <laughs> I am or whatever. Always mad at a retailer. What do you think it is that I fucking makes hate you- the man, man? I'm like, <laughs> I hate, I hate, I hate co- co- like ca- capitalism. Yes, that's it. I fucking hate capitalism. Yes. I mean, yeah. it, it becomes evident. But on the other hand, like, I guess the tailor would qualify as capitalism, but it is more of a small business, right? It is small business, yeah. But do you think that they knew they were giving you a bum deal or what? Like, uh, why would they do it that way? Well, and also, so here's also something that I, I'm glad we're talking about this because this this kind of annoyed me, and I feel like you would I I when it was happening, I was already imagining the conversation I was having you with you about this yeah. and how you would get, fr- this is the part that you'd be like, those two things aren't related. And okay, so I go in there and this, I, this tail, this, this dry cleaner is lovely. He's so nice. He's like, we're is always like chatty. Yes. Okay. And yeah. we have such like, he's funny and we have a good time chatting. Yeah. And so when I went in there to, to, to drop off the dress and to like have him like, um, pin it and he's not the one who tailors it he's oh, he's just like the, the okay. owner and then he's got another gal who's the seamstress mm-hmm. and uh 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 and so when i went back uh to complain and be like dude this is this is like you gotta WTF? take this out this is yeah. wtf come on he was like what wait we we had such a no. good time earlier we laughed oh we had fun Oh man! Yes, and I was like, "Yes, we all of those things are true." Right? 
but this over, which is why I'm, 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 you know, like in your eyes, that makes it worse. You're thinking like, I trusted you. I thought we were friends. Yeah. I'm like, I thought we were friends here. Don't fuck it up. Don't, I don't give me a, what fascinates me is I would have had the same feeling about the tailoring, but I would have just lived with it. Oh no, I I couldn't have. It's, it was a lot of it was. It was like a principal thing. Yeah, you do day. not like being taken advantage of. I hate it. Mm-hmm. And and I, what I also hate is uh, the thing that was going through my head the whole time was if you want something done right, you just decide to do it yourself. And I right. I outsourced a job that I absolutely know how to do. That's that true. It, this is not like plumbing or, mm-hmm. you know, like this is something that I'm almost embarrassed that I took it to the tailor. Right. Because my if I told my mom that, she'd be like, what? Just fucking so, what? Sarah, what I te- did I teach you nothing? You could do this in two seconds. Right. And I did do it in two seconds while I was like, Oh my gosh, you, know, you had to fix it yourself. Yeah. Wow. And it, it was, it was no, pro- and I did it in the hotel room with the hotel su- sewing kit that I knew was going to be in there. And I was like, yeah, no problem. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And then I just did it in a temporary way where I just take the stitches out so I can like, you know, resell it. And- but I can't believe that guy didn't say like, what, yeah, what the heck? Why'd she do it like that? Why wasn't he rallying with you? He, yeah, he gave, he was, he was kind of like, oh, well, you know, she probably wanted to, he, well. He was being kind of defensive, like for himself. He was he was definitely um, um, like throwing her under the bus. He was like, "Well, I'm not the tailor. I'm not the one who did it," and I didn't like that. Right. And she wasn't hey. there to defend herself. And I said, "I was like, it's not. I get it. She's probably she probably like knew I was in a rush. You know, I, I needed. To, mm-hmm. It was like 48 hours, kind of like thing that I needed it in. Right. But still, it took me about two minutes to do it. Wow. So. I was yeah I was bummed and I didn't I I wasn't I wasn't too keen on the but we were having fun earlier because I'm like yeah no. we we could have fun but also you know you gotta do the job do your job my man to do mm-hmm. you know so that was my that was my my the latest com- rage the latest rage yeah no I'm trying to think if I'm mad currently mad at any retailer. No, no, feeling pretty good. Just the tailor. Just the tailor. But but even then I, I'm not I have to I because it was a small business, I'm I'm like if I would have demanded all my money back if it were like Target or mm-hmm. Walmart or something like that, definitely would have thrown fit. Man, you know. Not I, thrown a fit, you know. I'm not a Karen <clears throat> over here, but I do find it very rewarding to use small businesses when possible. Oh, it's the best. Right. It is. You know, I mean, I know it's I'm easy still to gonna give them a five star review. So. You did? No, I mean, but like I would if they like right. next time they dry clean my clothes. Like, because when I dropped off the tailoring, he asked, he was like, "Oh, and you leave a review, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." And then I picked oh, it up, God. and then I was like, oh, "I am not going to be leaving that review, <laughs> but I'm not going to leave a bad one." Okay. I'm, yeah, nef- that's a I'm tough definitely call. not doing that. I'm not. I don't want to do that because mm-hmm. he's still a good. And they there's and and they they were. However, the shoe, the cobbler, the shoe repair man who tried to upsell me $45 for freaking putting some rubber anti-skid pads on the bottom, he can fuck off with that. Sarah's mad at all 19th century vendors. <laughs> yes. I'm mad at the... 
Wait till the she baker. hears from the, the blacksmith. The candlestick maker. Brad the candlestick maker. What? <laughs> that's so funny. I mean. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Um, you know what? But there actually, there actually is. I mean, I'm not mad at them, but I feel like there are some people who should be mad at a big company. And that are the astronauts in the uh, SpaceX capsule uh, in which the uh, toilets are leaking. Oh, my God. Did you see this? No. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so there's a there's I think a they're crew. back now. They got back last night. Oh, they did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank so, God. There was, one crew, there was one crew that was still up there. There's two. There's Dragon Capsule. There's Dragon Capsule and there's Dragon Endeavor. And okay. Dragon Capsule came, one of them came back. I don't know if, if, do you know if both are back or just one? No, I just know that one got back last night. They were up there for six months in the space station. So like apparently there's there's another one up there that still has the same problem. <laughs> what what is going on? Okay, so the and you know, the the article of course was like I was so excited to read when it says like um uh, uh SpaceX <laughs> leaky SpaceX forces astronauts to wear backup underwear or something like that. I'm like, that's hilarious. I need to know. This the, combines all, any, all of our favorite topics. Exactly. All of our favorite things. And anytime the word leaky yeah, is used so in true. association with anything bathroom related, I'm already like, Hugh! <laughs> it's going to be nasty. This is going to be gross. <laughs> that word instantly turns so disgusting. What are the mechanics of space defecation? So, I, I believe it's a it it's like a suction situation you would where think like they something would wear is, diapers. I I I think part of certain times they do, okay, okay. but then there's the like just they probably go in something. The thing that was broken in this situation is the tube that was um uh like storing or like the tank that was supposed to hold the urine. Oh, and the Lord. urine tank, the urine hose, there was a leak in the urine hose. This is the nasty part that got into the fan system. Oh, man. So the droplets I think they then might get... have been like spraying some peel over the place. <laughs> Why are you whispering? Because it's nasty. That is so bad. Yeah. There's a storage tank where the urine goes to be stored. That's a, and there's a tube that's connected to that that became disconnected or came unplugged. And this allowed urine to essentially not go into the storage tank, but essentially go into the fam, fan system. That's oh the direct God. quote from William Gerstemeyer, a former associate administrator at NASA who now works at SpaceX's head of mission uh, assurance. Well, it, And he can assure you that that pee is everywhere. Even though it's funny and stuff, it seems like any kind of thing like this malfunction is almost like life-threatening up there terrifying like we like laugh and joke because it's pee but like that's very corrosive to anything that it gets on like and and any kind of water up there anything that like that seems like just and it gets in the fans oh no water it's it really freaks me out people in space just like my god any little thing that goes wrong it it's scary yeah oh terrifies me we have a guest by the way oh so I want to introduce her. Um, yes. If you don't mind. Please. I love um, a guest. Okay. Um, but first I want to say that if you're in space or on Earth, you might want to try Best Fiends because it's super fun. What if they were all up there <laughs> playing Best Fiends? 
Best Fiends is a really fun game that you can. Well, you don't need Wi-Fi, so maybe they are. I know. That's what I'm saying. Right. It's so fun during the holiday season. It's the perfect pick me up when you need a break from all the holiday action. And don't we all? So yes. Best Fiends is this really cute game with storyline and collectible fiends and tons of fun puzzles, which we love. It's so fun. Sarah's on level gazillion. Um, well, here's the thing. I got a new phone and I had to restart. No. I know. I'm not happy Well, about hey, it. you love a challenge. I do. I'm starting over. It's fun. Okay. Well, she's going to get started again. They have thousands of levels. So there is lots of time for you and lots of challenges that await you. It'll be so fun. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And our guest today... Uh, last month for book club, I chose uh, Virginia Soul Smith's book, Ooh, The yes. Eating Instinct. Yes. Um, and it's The Eating Instinct, Food, Culture, Body Image, and Guilt in America. And basically, if you're a human being on the earth, you probably have some body issues, mm-hmm. and uh, especially women, and especially Western women. Um, and she kind of dives into all the different ways that we can have really bizarre and difficulties, difficult uh, experiences with food and food culture. It talks about even like, you know, people that only eat like five different foods. Yep. You know that? Buttered noodle girl. Yeah. Like what, where that might come from and what it's like to, to have that experience and the ways that like moms judge each other, you know, like the freaking mm-hmm. Pinterest lunchbox oh, pictures, those kinds yes, of things. Ridiculous. Yes. And then you feel like you're a bad mom if you let your ha- kid have Doritos, whatever. Um, so she, her book is really great and it inspired a lively chat in our book club meeting. And so I thought it'd be fun to have Virginia on and she's delightful. You should follow her on social. She also has a, a newsletter that you can sign up for that, uh, you can get, I just got one today and, um, she was exploring in the newsletter, like that idea of you should only eat what your great grandmother would have eaten, you know, that Michael Pollan, uh, mm-hmm. ideal and why that is sort of a flawed piece of logic. So different mm-hmm. things like that, that you may have never thought of, she explores and it's really insightful. Um, but yeah, welcome to the show, Virginia Soul Smith. Hi, friend. Thanks for coming on Brain Candy. We have to talk about your book, The Eating Instinct, Food, Culture, Body, Image, and Guilt in America. Congratulations on your book. Thank you so much. How the heck are you feeling about it? You know, um, good. It's um, it's sort of a funny thing with a book where, you know, you live it, and especially this book, I lived it for yeah. several chapters. Um, and then, you know, you live the reporting for a few years. And then now we're, you know, a little ways out from it being published. I have my head in a new book. Um, and it's like, I don't know, it's, it's in a way you can sort of enjoy it most at this stage. Yeah. You get a little perspective. I have a little perspective. It's great to hear when, you know, readers like sort of input and takeaways from it, but I'm no longer like in the trenches with it. So yeah, it's more yeah. like. Whenever the book first came out, what was sort of the general feedback that you would get from people? Well, a lot of it, interestingly, you know, when I wrote The Eating Instinct, obviously a lot of the story is my experience as a mom dealing with my child's um, feeding disorder. But, you know, the book is broader than that. I explore people's relationships with food in all different ways and not just parents. 
But parents are who connected with the book in particular, which mm-hmm. I wasn't totally expecting. I didn't know, you know, it was sort of a hard book to market because I was like, it's kind of for anyone who eats, which is, you know, turns out publishers That's don't. That's ideal. Like that. They don't. Um, it's, you know, they like a narrower, clearer audience, I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. But, but, you know, it's it's interesting. So, um, yeah, so I was immediately getting a lot of questions from parents like, okay, but what do I really do about how I'm feeding my kid, about weight, that kind of thing, which has kind of led to the work I'm doing now. The other really interesting reaction, I feel like women connected with the book very emotionally and men, this is generalizing, of course, but men often wanted to tell me that they were really fine about food and didn't have any issues. And it was just really like interesting to read about other people, but it wasn't them at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, do you think they're in denial are- or, or do you think it's true? <laughs> No, I think they're totally in denial. <laughs> I think male diet culture is alive and well and thriving, but men are conditioned not to like experience their emotions around food. They're sort of conditioned to think that like food is something that's just fuel. And, you know, and it's also like we have more space for men to eat junk food and for men to be in larger bodies. Mm. Like we certainly have a more permissive culture towards them, but there's also this way in which like, if they do have feelings about food, they haven't been given space or vocabulary to express it. And so I had a lot of men saying like, well, I just eat whatever I want. I'm not neurotic about food. Like all these women are, but then in the same breath saying like, well, of course I don't eat garbage or, you know, saying something that I was like, oh, but actually you're showing me you have a lot of hangups about food. You just don't. Don't you feel like there's sort of, I just eat whatevs and that's all informed by culture too. This sort of masculine (laughs) approach to like. Right. Right. Totally. But that's the why. See, that's because they're like the default human. So they just think that's normal. And then these people have issues that you describe in the book. Yeah. Or they aren't even acknowledging their own issues. Like they think they eat whatever they want, but actually they're counting macros or they're going to CrossFit all the time. And, you know, like they're not actually, they're doing things that are just as diety or just as restrictive or just as, you know, everyone, everyone has a relationship with their body. Everyone has a relationship with food. You can't escape it. um, Yeah. that's the human experience. And we're all informed by the larger culture telling us, you know, all these expectations that we get around these topics. Wow. Well, I'm glad those fellows were reading it anyway, but still like, okay. Um, well, like I said, my book club for brain candy is almost all women. And so like I told you beforehand, you know, the meeting was just, pardon my cat, by the way, Um, (laughs) the meeting was just, people have really personal stories to share. Did that ever feel when you were doing the reporting and researching that, like, how do you make sense of something so fraught and so layered in like the dysfunctional parts? I think it's really tricky. I think, um, this is a topic where everyone has a story to tell. And so like a lot of what I've done since the book comes, has come out is hearing people's stories. You know, people, I get these like very detailed emails, people Mm. really want to work through this stuff, um, which is great. Like, I'm happy to get it. I can't always, obviously, like I'm not a psychologist, (laughs) I can't fix it for you, but I'm happy to sort of bear witness and, you know, hold space for your experience. Um, But I think what I come back to is I see people blaming themselves for these struggles instead of saying, 
well, hang on, like, where did I get these ideas? Where did I think, you know, who told me that I have to eat this way to be a good person? Or who told me I have to be in a thin body to be a good person? And that's what I'm kind of constantly trying to shift us towards. Like, we all have struggled in this area. We've all, you know, done different diets or done, you know, like bend down these various rabbit holes, but it's not innate to who we are to need to do that. This Mm -hmm. is something that we have been conditioned to feel like we need to do. And so, you know, I always say like, you know, don't hate the diet or like hate diet culture, hate this industry that's profiting off these insecurities that's sort of constantly telling you you're doing this wrong. And I think that can be a really helpful first step for a lot of people to realize like, oh, everyone's struggles are very unique and idiosyncratic, but there's a lot of universality in the sense that we all have these struggles. And a lot of that is coming from being told we need to eat according to these like external rules that don't reflect our real needs and desires. Do you feel like we've made, we've made any progress? (sighs) It kind of depends (laughs) on the day. (laughs) Um, I do think that we have in the sense that you know, especially now in writing more about parenting, which, you know, I do on my newsletter, Burnt Toast, like, and I'm getting a lot of questions from parents. Like the number one question I get is how can I do this differently than my parents did? And so I do think the generation of people parenting now are like, oh, we've, we've been through this thing. We don't want to re, you know, we don't want to recreate this. How do we make something new? And that's really exciting. I think I see less of people being willing to let themselves off the hook. Like I hear often from parents who are really strapped, like trapped in their own disordered eating, but -hmm. wanting to protect their kids from that and like do things differently from them kids. And, you know, I just want to say like, you deserve that too. Like freedom you want to give your kid, like you deserve the same freedom. Yes. You know, but I think that's often how it works. Like we can sort of recognize this as a larger cultural problem. We can recognize we don't want to inflict this on other people. It just takes longer to finally say like, I deserve better too. And so, you know, so I I think we're in a messy middle spot in a lot of ways, but I, I do see reasons for being hopeful. Yeah, I I felt that same sentiment when I was reading your book and these lovely women were struggling with various um, issues with food, but they did not want that for their kids. And I felt that same feeling of like, you're somebody's kid too. Yeah. You know, and I'm talking to myself too. Like I'm, it's not as if I don't include myself in that category. (laughs) Totally. Um, And so do you feel though that, because I was trying to figure out the, the factors that cause a lot of these issues. And it seems like, yes, there's capitalism. People make a lot of money on telling us we're broken and, and need their solution. But there's also religious components, morality, um, purity. And I don't know how we get past all that. Do you feel like there's, it's a hopeless, like we're just going to go in circles? I think um, there's, that's an inevitable part of the process. There is certainly you know, I know a lot of people who do a process of quitting one diet and sort of recognizing all the ways that diet was damaging to them. And then very quickly, you know, this one doesn't seem as bad. And this one, you know, and like, we always want there to be this sort of unicorn plan of how to eat that lets us be free of this, but also makes us thin. And so I do think one key component to kind of breaking through and getting to the next stage of this conversation is stepping back from the value we place on thinness and the value we place on beauty and recognizing that these things have been 
you know, over-amplified in our culture to the point of oppressing a lot of us, most mm-hmm. of us, most mm-hmm. people in human bodies are oppressed by the thin ideal. And so that is a difficult leap to make because once you start to say, I'm going to care less about thinness, like all these questions, like what about health? What about this? What about, you know, it's a scary leap, but I do think it's the essential leap that we have to make. Um, And again, I see some folks, you know, really trying and getting there. I see some folks being able to sort of do it for people in their lives, but not for themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with how much conditioning you've internalized and how many of these different cultural influences you're kind of battling against. And I think you're completely right that religion is a big piece of it. You know, there's a lot of morality, purity, cleanliness talk in different um, religious doctrines. So if that's something you've been raised with, then, you know, unpacking that and figuring out how to kind of reconcile your values with your with that religious belief system is going to be a whole journey for sure. Did you watch that documentary way down low on HBO Max yet? Oh, no, I haven't seen it yet. It's about this lady who ran a cult, at, well, a church right? Um, <laughs> that, um, you know, really focused on weight loss as a um, symbol of purity and goodness and like God's favor. And um, it, you can see how those two religion and body image are connected and it just makes it very clear that a lot of religions do it but just on a less obvious level yeah yeah absolutely whenever you were dealing with the personal stuff with your daughter you had previously worked as a freelance writer Mm -hmm. writing about diet and food um was that an immediate connection that you made or was this over time were you like oh these are was kind of both in a weird way. So, you know, yeah, the first 10 years of my career, I was a women's magazine writer. So I covered dieting and fitness, um, you know, for Glamour and Marie Claire and all those sort of big brand places. My first job was at 17 Magazine um, doing diets for teenagers, which is something I live with now. Um, and yeah, so all through that decade of doing that reporting, I was sort of constantly rationalizing it to myself. I was kind of constantly saying like, well, you know, like when I left 17, like, okay, I'm not going to do weight loss for teenagers anymore. That's terrible. But like adult women, that's fine. You know, like they can make their own choices and that's a total rationalization. Or, you know, I'd say, well, this isn't really a diet. It's a light. I mean, I would do all the same rhetoric. You know, this one is just about portion control and that's different than cutting out food. Like it's not different. It's the same shit. Sorry. Um, So that, uh, you know, that was the sort of place I was in when Violet was born and when we were, pushed into this whole crazy world of having a baby on a feeding tube. And I think, you know, there was this really clarifying moment where when I realized now I had this child who couldn't eat and I realized how much of my sense of motherhood was tied up in, I will feed her in exactly the right way. I will, of course, breastfeed. I will do this so perfectly. Like this is how I was defining my motherhood. And I didn't have that anymore. And I had to sort of figure out, well, you know, how the hell am I going to be a mother to this child if I can't feed her? Mm. Um, It pushed me so far out of the regular paradigm of how we think about food 
that that's when I realized like, okay, I have spent all this time looking for this external set of rules to tell me how to do this. And I've spent so long trying to do this the quote right way and measure up to somebody's standards about this. And now I'm in a situation where there are no rules. There is nobody can tell us like these, we have, you know, her heart surgeon was one of the world's best heart surgeons. And he could not tell me how to have this baby. Like, you know, there was nothing for us. We were going to have to figure it out on our own. And which is not to say nobody works on pediatric feeding problems. There, there are wonderful people doing this work, but like, it's not the norm. It's not, there's not a clear playbook. Yeah. There's not this sort of set of answers. You don't like one, two, three, follow this plan. You have to figure out like what the child's dealing with and like support the child and go through this much more intuitive process. And that's when I was like, huh, you know, if I'm going to make food safe for her, I have to make it safe for me too. I have to sort of, turn off all this noise. This, you know, there was like this weird parallel between, you know, those of us who've spent so much time in our adult lives feeling like we eat too much. And now this baby who couldn't eat at all, but it was like the same mixed up messages coming at us. So, yeah. So there was sort of an epiphany early on where I started to think like, this feels too familiar. This feels Mm -hmm. like somewhere I've been before and it didn't work. And I can see it's not going to work now. You know, when I started looking into the therapies that were available and realizing that they wouldn't work for us. But it was a longer process then of sort of doing the work with her, helping her recover and the recovery kind of work I was doing on myself in that process. And, you know, we really went through all of that before I was like, oh, okay, there's a book here. There's, there's a bigger story to tell. Whenever they were um, giving her a feeding tube, I don't know what they were putting in it. And then you were like, can we put real food in? And they said it would Mm -hmm. clog up the machine. I'm real mad about that. (laughs) Is that fair or am I being crazy? No. um, Yeah. I mean, we were feeding her formula. And so this was when she was probably coming up on about a year old. We were in the hospital. She was being fed formula through a feeding tube. And I am not anti-formula. I am a very pro-formula parent. My second daughter lived on formula as well. Love it. But <laughs> we were having this problem with Violet where she was vomiting constantly on the feeding tube. And we had a feeling that the formula, you know, you're trying to rule out, like no one can really explain why this baby keeps throwing up. And one option is maybe what you're feeding her is causing a problem. Like it makes sense to experiment with that. Sure. Um, and the doctor was like, no, 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 you can't do. And I, you know, I looked into it and there's this whole world of people who have kids on feeding tubes and they blend up real food for them and like make, you know, basically like weird smoothies that they feed their kids every day. And I really wanted to try it for her because I thought this feels like a really critical step. Like if I have this baby who's only been tube fed formula and I want to get her to be able to eat food by mouth, like we have to sort of slowly introduce her to things. And the doctor shut it down because she said it will clog the feeding tube. And that's when I realized like she wasn't seeing my child as human. Yes. She was seeing her as a medical device to manage mm-hmm. and not as a person who deserved to have a relationship with food. And I want to be really clear, like when we did go the to the blended food route, which we did then do a few months later, it's a lot of work. It's really time intensive. It is not for every parent in that situation. You know, formula is great and life-saving. So this is not like a, you know, whole foods, like that's what you need to be eating. Yeah. 
in our situation, it was really helpful because it helped us understand, you know, what foods were working for her and how to sort of gradually introduce her so that then when she was eating by mouth, it was, it was a helpful tool for us, but it's not for everyone. But the larger point there is that that doctor just wasn't even considering any of that. Mm-hmm. And I think whether you're feeding a person with a tube and formula or you're feeding them with, you know, food from your garden, whatever, whole food um, thing, you know, the bottom line is like, everyone's different. Everyone has their own context with food and everyone deserves the chance to have that relationship and to figure out their preferences and what works for their body and what gives them comfort and joy. And that at that was point, you know, yeah, what you yeah. wrote about, like at the end, when you said how, you know, breastfeeding is nourishment, but they also fall in love. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I get that. And you made it so, it was just so beautifully put and so important to say that like, and you know, you deserve comfort and pleasure and joy too, which shouldn't be a big thing to say, but it shouldn't be that revolutionary, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are as humans hardwired to seek comfort out of food. If babies did not find eating comforting, they wouldn't do it because that's what happened to my kid, you know, in this dramatic situation. I saw that. So it is fundamental that we can seek pleasure and comfort in food. And instead we live in this culture that tells us that enjoying what you eat is somehow this like major transgression that you need to atone for. And yeah, that's really what that whole experience was. I was like, okay, this doctor doesn't care about her experiencing comfort from food. doesn't care about my role, you know, my emotions as the mother trying to have that relationship with her. And then, you know, big picture, we all deserve to have that. We all deserve to eat things that comfort us. And you really can't have nutrition if you don't have comfort. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Like to me, that is actually hmm. the much more fundamental need. You also do such a great job of showing the intersection of all these factors that contribute to our biases and like bad ideas, um, like class and and um, status and all this stuff. Um, what do you think the misconceptions are about the the way we talk about how poor people might eat or live. Oh, yes. There's so much here. Um, Yeah. So I think we have a very common misconception in our culture and it is baked right into public health policy. It is baked into the way you know, food stamps get get given out and distributed, the sort of amount of paperwork we require from poor people in order to qualify for SNAP benefits, for school lunches. You know, there's this, all these different infrastructures that exist Mm -hmm. that are supposed to support poor people in need with feeding their families. And they are actually incredibly stigmatizing and shaming because fundamentally we are a culture that shames poverty and that assumes that if you're poor, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. And then we also assume that if you're poor and you can't afford to feed your family, you must also not understand anything about food and you must need to be taught about nutrition like you're a five-year-old. And it's an incredibly patronizing and incredibly inaccurate picture Mm -hmm. of poverty. And so, yeah, I have a chapter in a book, in the book where I spent time with several low-income moms in Philadelphia, women of color living on food stamps and, you know, went to the grocery stores with them, like watched what they made for family meals and the ingenuity that they have in figuring out how to stretch their budget, how to have enough for the people in their lives, how to show love and comfort to their children through food, even though one of their biggest fears is having enough food to feed their children. Like 
that is so instructive to all of us who have never had to live with food insecurity. And, you know, any privileged person, I think it's really important to reckon with like, how much do I think I'm like so good at healthy eating because I have, you know, even if you have a nutrition degree, even if you've done sort of higher education around this, like how much of it is actually just privilege that you can go into a grocery store and buy whatever you want to buy versus you have to make really logical choices. Like I'm not going to buy $6 organic strawberries this week because I have $20 for food and strawberries are not going to send a child to bed with a full stomach. Like it doesn't, it's not good nutrition. Mm -hmm. It's not logical. In fact, you know, the dollar menu at McDonald's is better nutrition because you're getting more calories for your buck at that point. And when you're on a tight budget, that makes sense. And it's delicious. And it's delicious and comforting (laughs) to come back to that theme that I can't really hit hard enough. Like everybody deserves comfort. And that's another thing too. Like we have this image that like, if you're poor, you no longer deserve pleasure. Yes. And, you know, I just think, you know, I remember talking to one mom who was like, but my kid's birthday is coming up and I want her to have a birthday cake. And like, why can't my kid have a birthday cake if your kid can have one just because you can afford, you know, like, like, why would you deprive this kid of that joy and that moment and, and the frosting and the sprinkles and, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of opportunity to examine our biases, to examine our racism, um, our classism, definitely fat phobia, you know, these assumptions, also most of these women were in bigger bodies. And there was this assumption that if they were in a bigger body, they didn't understand healthy eating. When I think if you talk to any fat person, they know way more about nutrition because (laughs) it's shoved down our throats all the time. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to really strip a lot of that back and say, okay, actually what we need to do is make it possible for people to afford to feed their families with dignity and then get the hell out of their way and let them make the choices that make sense for them. Yeah. We we just can't resist it though. Like we want to punish. Yeah, absolutely. People. Especially if they're single moms. I mean, especially if they're single moms of color. Yeah, absolutely. We are sure they've done something wrong. Didn't you ever just want to quit this book and just throw it out the window? I would be so mad <laughs> if I was immersed in it. I mean, we all are in culturally, but like you were really in it. Didn't you ever feel rage? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Lots of rage. <laughs> yes. Rage is a primary emotion of my life. Oh, good. Um, okay. Me too. But yeah, but I think also there is something cathartic in telling these stories. Yeah in learning from people, you know, I learned yeah. so much from the people who I talked to, um, you know, who I profiled in the book. And I think, yeah, there's something really hopeful about seeing people fighting really hard for this, this kind of stuff. Um, it's yeah, it's both. It's always both. It's, it's both depressing and there's these moments of hope yeah. and, you know, and when you see, you know, now I'm in a position, my daughter who I wrote about in the book is now eight years old. Um, she has a really mm. beautiful relationship with food that's, that's so like, nice. you know, incredibly like stress-free and she takes comfort in it and she has that. And so I know what's possible if we push back against these cultural narratives and if we work really hard to make our homes free of diet culture noise and free of this like good food, bad food, good person, bad person, all of this stuff, you know, I can see it working in there in both my daughter's lives. And so that's very motivating to think like, okay, this is something that we can make progress on. Yes. 
I agree. And I'm doing my best because as you know, you, you, you absorb how you're raised. So if you're raised in a home where fat is the enemy and whatever you, you internalize it. So Mm -hmm. then now I'm having to like undo it, undo it all. Hopefully. (laughs) Okay. Last thing I really find the conversation, which I think is what your next book explores more about the um, like school lunches and all this Mm-hmm. And you know how people love posting on Instagram their pictures of their bento boxes and Ooh, all yes. their hummus yes. or whatever the heck. Because, um, <laughs> you know, social media kind of magnified a lot of our existing nonsense. So uh, what do you think we could do? I know this is a bigger question, but just like with the school lunch situation, mm-hmm. like uh, you mentioned on your Instagram, like leaning into like the food that's available that is now for many people free, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But what do you think? What are we going to do? Yeah. So I wrote a long piece about school lunches on my newsletter a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you know, what I am pushing back against is I think there's this, there's this conception in our culture that really comes from diet culture, really comes from that Instagram bento box, you know, thing yeah. that school food isn't good enough for yes. our kids. Yeah. And in fact, when you look at what's been happening in school food, it is true that this particular school year, school food is having a lot of trouble because there's a lot of um, supply chain issues and labor shortages. Uh. It's quite a complicated situation. But even with those problems, school food is really at its baseline quite good. And it has been quite good since about 2010 when Michelle Obama pressed this, you know, got the big um, Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act passed, and there was a huge overhaul to school lunch nutrition standards. So there's been a ton of progress in this area. And because we sort of in our little Instagram bubbles are like, but what about, don't I need a planet box? And don't I need to send, you know, like goji berries and dehydrated dragon fruit or whatever? Um, You know, that is a definition of healthy eating that is not what's on the school menu, but is also not realistic or attainable for most people and not what kids like to eat for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing to understand is that school lunches the more parents that opt in, the more kids that participate in public school lunch programs, the more funding schools get for school lunch programs. So if you are not happy with your school lunch program, the way to make it better is to participate, not to say I had to pack a lunch. Because when you say, well, I have to pack a lunch because it's not good enough for my kid. What you're also saying is it's good enough for the poor kids who can't afford to pack a lunch. It's good enough for them I'm going to opt out of being a part of the solution and making Mm. this better. And so that's really what I want to push back against is this idea that we sort of exist in these little silos and like you, and again, there's a lot of nuance to this. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, food allergies, there's, things that come up where you're going to pack a lunch sometimes. I'm not saying no one can ever pack a lunchbox again. Um, Cause I got a lot of DMS about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, it was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but, you know, do look at like, is this really necessary for my kid to eat lunch? Or is this me putting my own filter of like what I think good food is and what I think is healthy, which is really a diet culture definition of that food. And maybe your kid doesn't need that. Maybe your kid actually would really benefit from eating tater tots and applesauce, you know, with their classmates. And there's, you know, there's lots of benefits to having that communal eating experience, that comfort we talked about. Um and again, you're helping to make school food better and more accessible to families who really need it. So there's a real- That was you know, a point I never thought about. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, I is, would, it is free most places now. So that's great. Wouldn't you be so excited if someone made you tater tots every day? 
I mean, it's kind <laughs> of the dream. Yeah, it's yeah, kind it's of the dream. <laughs> okay, last question. We ask everybody, if you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Oh God. Um, I think mm-hmm. right now I still have a potty seat in the trunk of yeah, my car, I've had that before. which is a stage of life. I'm very excited to almost be done with. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's exciting. And yeah, that's, I know for sure back there also probably a lot of like snack wrappers from my children. Um, and various things my dog has chewed on. So yeah, our cars are not, um, we are not status car people. And (laughs) I'll tell you what though, having a potty in there, that's pretty, pretty awesome. It comes in handy. You, you find yourself on the side of a road with a kid who can't hold it till the next rest stop. Nature calls. (laughs) I've been there. I will be really happy when it no longer needs to live in our car. We're almost there. I love <laughs> My kids it. are four and eight, so we're getting there. <laughs> yes, you're on your way. And I hope everyone reads The Eating Instinct, Food Culture, Body Image, and Guilt in America and also signs up for your newsletter, Burnt Toast. I will have to sign up. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and you can always send me questions. I do a lot of answering questions and not just parents, although there's a parent focus um, about diet culture and all of that. So send over questions. They may show up in a future newsletter and yeah. Yeah, and keep writing because you're doing the Lord's work and you're helping people like me to sort all this out. And it's so great what you're doing. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm.